0: Well, there's quite a few new faces, so I thought before I started I would introduce myself, and I uh, haven't gotten to know all of you yet, but I look forward to. Uh, I'm Chris Rep. my wife is Becky, and my kids are Sarah, Caleb, and Josh. Uh, Sarah's 23, and Caleb's 20, and Josh is 18. Uh, we've been a part of Living Hope for eight or so years um, and for the last two, I've been the elder, um, overseeing evangelism in the church. Uh, and I think we can sum up our heart as an eldership for evangelism in that we think evangelism's for everybody. It's not for a select few or for specifically extroverted outgoing people. It's something that the Bible calls all of us to be a part of in, not even just in programs or in Aspects of our lives, but in all of our lives. So when Tim put out these opportunities to preach this summer and I saw on the list of parables, the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world, I snapped it up. I wanted the chance to preach from this passage because I think it very well uh, illuminates the heart that we have that all of us are a part of sharing the good news in our everyday lives as Christians. So, um, to illuminate that a little further, a lot of what I've done over the first two years of being a part of living hope as an, as an elder is just talk to people. If I hear someone talk about reaching out to a friend or a neighbor or someone in any way, I'm, I'm going after them and I'm, I'm learning more about that, how they do that, what, what that's like for them. What's the challenge and the struggle of it. So I've heard and, uh, a lot of stories of people that are already being salt and light here and around us in our southern York County area. Um, So I'd love to just pepper you with a few uh, to start. Uh, Before I get into my list here though, if anyone wants to just skip the whole sermon and get it in in miniature, my brother Ed had, and I got to talk before church and he told me several stories just in the last several weeks of opportunities God's given him to be salt and light to a co-worker and to a neighbor or someone that he works around. Beautiful examples of basically everything I'm going to say. So talk to Ed. He has some great stories to tell. but beyond that, I have others, and there's many more to come, hopefully. Uh, I talked to parents recently in the church who are raising their kids well, and their young daughter recently shared Jesus with her cousin. Now, it turns out the cousins' parents aren't Christians, so it's caused a little bit of a stir in the family, but they're proud of her, and she has a heart for that family, uh, I know someone in the church who struck up a conversation with a waitress at a local restaurant, learned of some significant need in that person's life, and now as a church, we're helping to meet that need for shelter and for their ki- her kids to be cared for. Uh, there's a family in the church who invited a neighbor and her husband to Thanksgiving dinner just because their kids live far away. And the husband was known to be a little uh, against religion, yet they came and they prayed the thanksgiving prayer and were among Christians celebrating thanksgiving together. Uh, another way that I've seen salt and light is someone in the church who's walked with and prayed for a close family member for literally decades and decades and is finally seeing fruit. Come from that relationship, that person's reconnecting with God and getting involved here at Living Hope Church. Um, there's a lady in our church who in the past couple of years has spent spent months reaching out and connecting with a Jehovah's Witness that came to the door. She invited them in, and week after week, she got to know them and love them and care for them. And when I know I probably would have been hiding behind my sofa when they knocked at the door, she had the grace from God to reach to them and to love them and share them with them the gospel. Um, and one more um there's someone at Living Hope who I talked to that has a coworker who's in the LGBT lifestyle, and instead of a Christian and, and that lifestyle being something that caused friction, he loved her, he loved her well, and I believe she ended up writing a letter to him before he moved on and telling him how significant that relationship was, how much his love meant to her. Those are ways, just a few, that our church is already being salt and light in our world. And it's not to say that we're perfect here at Living Hope. In fact, all the more, a humbleness, a sense that we have, we are sinners and we struggle ourselves, is what draws people to us and to listen to the message of our Savior. Um, for me personally, this lifestyle of looking for chances to be salt in life is is something that is... Uh, what I want to spend the rest of my life doing. I hit about 40. I'm a little past that now. But when I hit about 40, I started to look ahead to, uh, you know, the second half of life and maybe midlife crisis. What am I going to do with my rest of my days? And through reading some books and thinking, um, I just think God put it on my heart to say, this is what I want you to do with the rest of your life, to reach out to people with the gospel, and to see him change, maybe even see them reject me some of the time, and that's happened too, but to experience the fulfillment of obeying God in this area of being salt and light. Um, so that brings us to our passage, which is I'm excited to let Jesus speak into this for us today. Let's turn to Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16, and read. so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I want to pray one more time. Lord, we just submit to this passage. I can personally attest that there's all kinds of fears and shortcomings and things that come to mind when I'm uh, called to be salt and light. Uh, I feel inadequate. I am inadequate. But... When you speak to us, Jesus, when you call us to do something, you give us the power to do it as well. So I just pray that you would give that power to us as a church and birth more and more stories of salt and light and uh, truth and baptisms and growth of your kingdom through the work of Living Hope Church. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Beck, could you get me a bottle of water? I forgot how. Dry your mouth. Gets doing this. <laughs> um, all right. So to unpack this rich passage, uh, I want to go through five questions with you that I sort of was brought to as I looked at it, and I hope we can answer and uh, illuminate the passage. First is how does Jesus' compassion and authority call us to be salt and light? The second is how does Jesus? What does Jesus mean by salt and light? You don't look like Becky. <laughs> Um, third is what if we choose not to be salt and light fourth is how practically can we live out this call to be salt and light today and fifth and finally is why why should we be salt and light and one more preliminary idea before we start i heard this i don't know who exactly told me this but i've really found it helpful to be practical with a sermon is to carry someone with you as you listen to maybe an evangelistic type of sermon. So I'd like to take 30 seconds. I feel like I I, I know God is working in all of us in relationships we already have. So give yourself 30 seconds to reflect on a friend, a family member, neighbor, coworker, maybe a classmate for you students that God might be putting on your heart that he wants you to be salt and light toward. Take a second and get that person in your mind. All right. Now, they can be on your heart, and hopefully it... At the end, we'll take a minute and pray for that person, and we'll see God practically work. All right. So our first question, how does Jesus' compassion and authority call us to be salt and light? If you go to the beginning of this passage, it's the Sermon on the Mount, and the first verse says, Matthew 5, verse 1, says, Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So it's kind of like seeing the crowds is the impetus for Jesus calling his disciples and starting this teaching. So it made me reflect, what does Jesus think when he sees the crowds? So fortunately, as the Bible so often does, later on in the book, it says exactly what Jesus saw when he saw the crowds. If we go to chapter 9, verse 37, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Man, that hit me. Uh, Like I said, I'm not as young as I used to be. And the longer we go through life, the more people hurt us, right? The more easily we can get cynical. We can see people as... um, adversaries, or just annoying, or even see people as groups, right? Politically, that's pretty common today. They're this kind of person. They watch this cable news show, and that's how we look at others. Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them individually as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I just want to take a half a second in my own heart and with us to ask God To give us that heart of compassion for people. To release us from our biases and our hard places. Lord, do that for us. But secondary to this is Jesus' compassionate authority. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And that's a description of where he went, but it's also deeper. Uh, some going up on a mountain is symbolic of authority. And if you think back to the old Testament, there, the law was given on Mount Sinai. God was up on the mountain and Moses went up to him and the people were down in fear and trembling as God gave the law to Moses. Moses. Well, Jesus also was on a mountain to teach here, but it was different. Likely, he was on a grassy hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and he called the crowds to him, didn't he? The same powerful words are spoken, the same truth. He says the law doesn't change, but he attracted the crowds. He attracted disciples as he incarnated. He brought God to us in a different way from the God speaking on the mountain to the people in fear and trembling. It's that incarnate life that we are to live as salt and light to people in the world. So that's what makes Jesus' compassion and authority the forerunner, the paver of the way for us as we look at how to be salt and light in the world. So the second question, what does Jesus mean in the passage by salt and light? First salt, let's read again, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt's lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. If you remember when Matt started this, he said these parables are are common to the people of the day. They made perfect sense to them. Jesus was speaking in the vernacular of the day. Um, so they they knew what is table salt to us meant a whole lot more to people in that ancient world. In a world without refrigeration or fancy medications, salt was both. It was so important, soldiers many times were paid in salt. Another you know the saying, he's not worth his salt. Right. That was the significance of it. And also cities of the time were built in relationship to a source of salt, because salt provided so much significance to that city. And it was still a mundane, it was still a simple part of life for rich and poor. Uh, salt at the time was used to preserve food, right? Put salt on a meat and it won't rot. It was used to enrich soil. Pot ash was a particular salt from the from the Dead Sea that would enhance the soil and create more fruitful soil. It also, as for us, enhanced the flavor of food, took it from bland to tasteful. And salt, through the Bible, is a form of judgment. When a city was defeated, salt would be thrown a lot on the soil so that too much salt makes it no longer good for fruit to, to be used to grow things. So Jesus has this analogy in mind that was very common and made a lot of sense to the people of the day, right? That they were meant, his disciples, us, are meant to preserve, to enrich, to enhance the world around us. Now, what about light? Verse 14, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Light's just as important in the ancient world as it is to us. Um, there's two different mentioned in this passage. A city on a hill and a lamp in a house. City on the hill would be, uh, think of like a weary traveler who had been walking for days or riding a horse maybe, and they see on a rise in the distance the glow of a city, of city lights, many lights coming together to make that glow. So that meant refreshment and rest and a place to be with other people. That city on a hill was a great opportunity for a weary traveler to find rest and hope. And light's in a home. Well, light just changes everything, right? I mean, when it gets dark without light, we can't see anymore. So after dark, you can go to bed or talk in the dark. But now light in a house on a stand is important so we can spend time together and talk and get more done and be together more as a household. Now light has an incredible significance all throughout the Bible. If you want some devotional time, just look up light in the concordance and follow it through scripture. Uh, but I just wanted to give one little flow of light that I think really helps us this morning. And it's in Isaiah a uh, book that would have been very familiar to the audience of the day, and l- listen to these three instances of light and where they lead in this passage. Isaiah nine two three 3, and 6, a very familiar holiday passage. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Then Isaiah 49, 6 says, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And then in 59, 21 through 60, it puts these both together. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit's on you. My word I've put in your mouth that shall not depart out of your mouth and the mouth of your children, says the Lord. From this time force and forevermore, arise, shine, for your light has come. For the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the people, but the Lord will arise upon you and the glory will be seen upon you. The nations shall come to your light to the brightness of your rising. See what happened there? That, that amazed me. One of the struggles I had when I started to look at this passage is even thinking of myself as a light to the world. That's presumptuous, right? God is the light. How could I be anything like that? But it's not just in this passage that we're studying. In the Old Testament, there's a flow of God as light, of God's Messiah releasing light into the world, and of his people then being that light and shining it out into the world. And that's us. Believe it or not, if God says it, it's who we are. We are a light to the world. So, I'd love to just jump into how we do that in day-to-day life, but we can't ignore the fact that there's a warning in this passage, and we need to take a second to acknowledge that. So the third question is, what if we lose our saltiness or our salt and light. Verse 13 says, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I want to focus on the salt aspect of this warning this morning because it Spoke to me. Um, this, again, would have been very common and understandable to the audience of the day. If a merchant was trying to get a little more out of his selling his salt, he might take some sand and mix it in with the salt. So instead of pure salt, it was earth mixed with salt. And you can obviously uh, recognize you throw salty sand, sandy salt on your food, it's no longer good for anything. I think the warning is simple here, and I want to keep it simple for my own heart and for us. We need to love God first and most, not mix with the world, or eventually we will lose our effectiveness and become no different than the world. And, I, and to drive this home, I just would like to read another passage in Scripture that lays this out super clearly so that God could speak it to us. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the father but is from the world and the world's passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of god abides forever lord help us under your love on this side of the cross to reflect on the ways in our own lives that we have gotten comfortable We've loved the world a little too much. I know I do. I know, Lord, I love the comforts and the uh, ease of this world sometimes more than I love you. And I pray that we would repent of that sincerely with confidence that you love us still and that you discipline those that you love and want us to be effective salt and light in this world. So do that in our hearts through this this word from you, Lord. All right. So we move on from the warnings to the practical applications. Verse 15 again, let your light shine before, I'm sorry, the fourth question, how can we practically live as salt and light today? Verse 15 again says, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good work and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to give two preparatory points before I give five practical uh, application points that all happen to start with the letter L. But the preface points to this practically living this out is you'll notice when I give my applications that they're all uh, heart-focused, relational. They're not so much apologetic. And I think it can tend to be a mistake that we think of evangelism as defending our faith primarily or arguing a point about what we believe against what other people think. And I think for me, and I know for others, that one of the fears of that is, what if I don't have the answer? What if I don't have all the answers or the right answer for people? And I think that's a smokescreen. And here's why. Because I think, here's a quote that I think will put it into application. This guy, Jerry Root, says, The world says that we are bodies and brains. The Bible says that we're spirits, mind, heart, and will. The truth is that our brains, just thinking things through, is the least reliable part of us. Our mind is like lions that stand at the gates of our heart and our will. We do what we want and we make up reasons for why we do it. And as I was praying this morning, I want to speak for a second specifically to you young people. You can define yourself young if you are. Uh, I really think this is the lie of the world today. That everything is about the intellect. That if it isn't scientific enough and provable enough, then it's not true. And that is not true. I'm going to give you an example. Maybe slightly controversial, but I don't intend it to be. I just intend to speak something I think is going to make sense to all of us. I spent the last couple days, as probably many of us have, watching the reaction to Roe versus Wade. And if in an effort to understand both sides of the issue, I've listened to uh, the president of Planned Parenthood and people in organizations speaking on their point of view on why they're so upset about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. So our point of view is that it's, it's a baby, it's a child, right? And we don't want to murder a child. But from their point of view... I didn't hear a single response that included it's a baby or maybe it is a baby or here's why it's not a baby or it's not a human life. Literally didn't hear that once in none of the speeches. It was all about my life, my body, my autonomy. And again, it's not to to stir something up. It's to make this point that we use our minds to get what we want. We just do it. We all do. Only God, only the gospel speaks ultimately to our hearts, changing our desires and our will. And that's why when we are salt and light, I think it's relational and it's, uh, connecting with people on a human level that cuts through the reasons that they might have. So that's just a preparatory point to how we're gonna live this out. At the second quick I preparatory point, Jesus doesn't say in this passage, you do this salt thing, you be light first. He says you are salt and you are light. Jesus is starting with a statement of our identity, who you and I are in Christ, children of God, beloved sons and daughters. So before you do this and hear this as a checklist of how to be salt and light to people, remember This is who you are first before you, it's anything that you do. And you know what that does? That tends to free us from seeing the other person as like a project. It's just who I am, so it's who I want you to be as well. And there, and people in the world have a rightful antenna up for people that are looking to get a notch in their belt. We don't want to be that. I don't want to be that with people. I want to love people from being loved by God. And that's what that identity statement of, you are the salt of the world and you are the light of the earth, means for us as Christians. All right, so five practical L's on how to be salt and light in your world. One more drink of water. The first is L is language. This one is is a significant one for me personally because I've used it as a devotional idea. Um, I recognized, as I said, God sort of called me to do this more, and I have opportunity in my work to talk to non-Christian people. Um, Ed even brought this up when he and I were talking that if you don't do it very much, and you You get into a conversation with a person that's not a Christian, you can recognize that we have Christian language that helps us talk to each other in a way that the world can maybe scratch their head and not get it. But it doesn't mean that that's what it has to be. The gospel is a simple, plain, straightforward message. And if we spend time in devotional life thinking about the pieces of the gospel and putting that language of gospel, justification, sanctification, glorification into terms that someone who's not a Christian might be able to connect with as well, it's going to make a difference in how we think about the gospel and how we connect with others. So a tool for this, transforming our language, is a while back, Pastor Tim preached a sermon series on the multifaceted gospel. There's copies of this in the back. And it's got all the theological concepts, the Christianese over here, of what Christ's work has done for us on the cross. These are all beautiful, powerful concepts. But as he goes through the identity of God and description of sin and the presenting need that people in the world are going to experience, we can translate justification into feeling guilty feeling unrighteous or self-righteous. And when we have conversations with people who aren't Christians, we can talk to them about justification, but in terms of feeling guilt and feeling freedom from that guilt, because God takes our sin... So I, I encourage you to grab one of these and use it as a devotional in your own life to translate the words that we use so often as Christians into common language in ways that it's more helpful to be salt and light to people. Uh, the second one is, is a little easier but harder at the same time. And it's L is just look around you. Uh, I know for me personally, I, I can tend to just kind of get tunnel vision. Whether, if I'm at work, I can pop my headphones in and focus on my work. Yet at the same time, in my work have been some of the most significant opportunities I've had because I'm working in someone's home, working on their furniture. They're just milling about. They're comfortable in their setting. And I just get the opportunity to talk to them, but not if I have my headphones in. And the worst of it is, sometimes I'm listening to a sermon with my headphones in, ignoring the opportunity right there in front of me. And the Lord just convicted me to to get out of my space sometimes and look around. If he says the fields are white for harvest, the fields are white for harvest. It's more of what Ed and I talked about. Opportunities are around us if we're looking for them. And looking in a prayerful way, God brings those to our to our uh, path for the day. Third, this third one is just listening to others is a way to be salt and light. Um, asking questions, uh, maybe even this simple tactic of asking how are you a second time, right? How you doing is a passing phrase, but no, stopping, slowing down, how you really doing is a whole different thing. And in our busy world, we can often pass each other and not get to that second time of saying, how are you really doing? And shock someone that we really care about what's going on in their lives. And going further of asking questions and listening to their answers. Asking simple questions about, you know, did you go to church? What's your upbringing? If that opportunity comes about. Um, There's this sort of unspoken principle of reciprocal listening that if you pay attention you'll notice it it happens in marriages it happens all over that if we give someone our attention and listen to them for a period of time and they feel listened to they almost feel an unseen sense that they are willing to listen back to us so it opens the door to them hearing from us. I actually had this happen last week on work. Uh, uh, there's a lady who I work for who buys and resells furniture. I've worked for her for several months, and we've had chit-chatty conversations. But this particular time I was working, and um, she said something about growing up Catholic or something. And I was able to ask her, tell me a little more about what was your background, your church upbringing, She talked to me more. I listened. I asked a few more questions. She told me more and more and more. And then, inevitably, what about you? She asked me about my church experience, and it was an open door for me to tell her about Jesus. It just works that way, listening to others. All right, fourth. This fourth one might take a tiny bit of explaining, but I think when it clicks, it's going to click for all of us. I want us, as salt and light... We need to long with others. Long with others. Once we've given them, listened and noticed people, started to build a little bit of relationship, there's this concept of longing with others that I think is extremely powerful. Think of anything that gives us meaning in life. Home, family, beauty, joy, whatever brings you happiness in life, this side of heaven also has a flip side to it, right? Family is wonderful and the toughest thing in the world. And beauty is beautiful until it's degraded and is no longer beautiful but just salacious. And even home, a place that should be rest and rest for us can be a place of tension and struggle. So to long with other people means you're willing to invite them into struggle. Here's how this has worked for me. And I, without fail, this has worked for me. And it's, it's been a blessing. In, again, in my work, uh, it's common for me to be working and someone will, I'll, will ask me about my family or I'll ask them about their family. Hey, you lived here long. You know, real simple questions that are not threatening at all. And they'll talk about theirs. I'll talk about mine. And uh, it tends to be in glowing terms, right? I have three kids and they went to Harvard and now they're blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and that's how it starts. But to, to draw out longing means to admit reality from us going first. And I will inevitably say after we have those niceties, but it's really hard to... We've homeschooled our kids for 20 years and pretty much every summer we're pleading with God, should we continue to do this? Because it is tough. And without fail, one, before God, 100% of the time, they have responded back to me, oh yeah, you're right, my son or daughter this, or I've got this struggle as well. Well, I have a kid with a learning disability too. They have followed me into longing. And a longing is a place where something isn't quite as it should be. And C.S. Lewis says that we all have a longing for something that we don't have, and that longing is for heaven. Longing for justice, longing for beauty, longing for a relationship that no marriage can ever live up to. And when we have that longing to point to together with them, we draw them in as salt and light to God as the answer to that longing. So give that a try. Fifth, love. Love all the way to sharing the light of Jesus. This one is, for me, a challenge. Um, I, I'm pretty naturally like uh, friendly and and a people pleaser in a sense, right? So I like to draw people out and talk to them. Maybe in my 20s and 30s, I did this really well where I would have a lot of conversations with people and they would feel heard and it would bring like a warm, fuzzy connection with them. But uh, I, even maybe I'll pray for you or, or something in general like that or you should check church out. Uh, but to love people well and ultimately well, we need to show them the gospel. We need to get to the hard parts, that we're all sinners and we need forgiveness from God to be in relationship with him forever. So it's just not enough to leave with that warm, fuzzy feeling. I'm talking to myself here. I've been challenged by God that I need to be willing to love all the way to sharing the gospel with people. And that doesn't always happen in the first time or the first opportunity you have to talk to them. It can be a building process, but your heart needs to be set on getting to what really matters for them and for you. So that's my five L's of how to live this out. But just a couple days ago, it hit me I could give a bonus sixth L because we're Living Hope Church. So the sixth L is Living Hope Church. I just thought I should throw this in here. We have life groups. Within the last year, we started to create a prayer list for unsafe people in our lives. And we talk about that, and we pray about that. We share stories and struggles and where we're going with that. That happens in our life group. That's part of how we're salt and light. we're developing some evangelism training where we hope to go further and spend more time on how to do this process of noticing people and building relationship, uh, going deeper into spiritual conversations and then bridging to the gospel and telling people, the gospel, and we're going to do that in a training course that we're going to, we're developing. Um, second and fourth Sundays of every month, we have we have a prayer time that includes evangelistic prayer. We'd love to have you come out. Uh, where's Thomas? Thomas and I were praying this morning. There it is from nine to nine forty. Um, so second and fourth Sunday, we can pray for this. Um, and oh, one more that I don't think we always think of is here. And now, Sunday morning is a place where there can be some people here who are just kind of checking this out. And what an easier way or a safer place to say, what'd you think of the sermon? Do you go to church? What's your background? To find that and have conversations with people that maybe you don't know at church about their relationship with God. And you'd be surprised. There are opportunities to connect people with God or give people closer to God to be salt and light to people among us who aren't necessarily walking with Jesus at this point. So that's another one. All right. So we've, we've looked at Jesus's compassion and authority in calling us to be salt and light. We discussed what it meant in the passage. We looked at a warning about how not to be mixed as salt and light uh, with sand And then we're practically looked at ways that we can walk this salt and light out. But what I want to end with is why? Ultimately, why should we be salt and light? Verse 16b says, so people may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. The parable ends with three reasons why we should be salt and light. The first is we do good works together. We do good works. We're on mission together. If you're a sports person, this, this, uh, hit me that, uh, you don't practice and play the game the same way. No matter how much you want to be intense, the game brings on a whole different level of intensity and focus. And if we're a people that are just living this Christian life together and doing it ourselves, and it's about us and our families and our thing, it's kind of like practice in a sense. It's not a bad thing. But the game, the great commission that Jesus has called us to is to get out there into all the world and make disciples of all men. So if we don't do the works together We're just kinda going through the motions. I feel like personally some of the promises of scripture make a lot more sense when I'm trying to get out there. When I'm, you know, when I pray, I tend to be a little more self-focused in my prayers if I'm not doing something that's challenging me or causing me to get on my knees and ask God for help to reach my neighbor or my friend or coworker. And it can tend to get a little stale. That's just my personal experience. So doing this good works together puts us in the game, puts us on mission together. And that's one reason why that unity is what Jesus has called us to. The second is obviously that they would give glory to our Father. That's a harvest, right? That's people looking at our Father God and saying he deserves glory. That means new believers among us. That means a change. That means growth. That means fresh testimony and transformed lives at living hope and in our midst and in our lives. Friends and family members that we've been praying for, a harvest would come and they would praise God and see him as father and have a new life in him. And the third is that we would give glory to our Father in heaven. It's kind of abstract in some ways, right? I mean, I want to try to, for myself, take the Christianese out of this concept. What does it mean to bring glory to our Father if Jesus says that's the end of this salt and light? Well, remember that discussion we had a bit ago about longing and about what, what we all know should be but isn't. Well, that's the glory of God. Beauty everlasting. Justice that does not fail. Goodness, kindness, love. Family that lasts for eternity, where there's no more infighting and bickering. A kingdom that doesn't end. That is the glory of God. That's what we're called to show the world. And as uh, grandiose as it sounds... Hopefully we bring it humbly to people and we can say things that we only long and wonder about as kids and maybe have lost over years, but see in someone's heart and face that a reconnection to home, to the concept of a father that doesn't give up on you and that loves you as you are, like the prodigal father that comes running back to you. That's the glory of God. That's what we can be a part of sharing with others. And that's what it, being the salt and light is about. Yeah. As I close, I just want us to hear it. The glory of God is light. The heaven is God's presence with us. Revelation 22.5 says, The night will be no more. There will be no need, uh, no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and evermore. God, show us your glory and help us to be salt and light. So, as we close, I'd like to hearken you back to that name. Um, there's somebody in your life, a friend, a family, co worker, neighbor, um, that you. Are the salt and light of the world towards scary, feel inadequate, unable to do it in my own strength, yes, but it 's God calling us, and He wants to use us to be that so i i 'd suggest that as we go from here, uh, tell somebody about that name um, it 's been a, a blessing to us to as a life groups and others to just talk to each other about people in our lives that God has wanted us to be salt and light to, to bring the glory of God and to see them meet Jesus. Let's pray. God, we completely admit our inadequacy to be salt and light to the world. We fall just as far short as anybody else. I'm scared. I'm overwhelmed. I don't have all the answers. And yet you call me to be salt to the world and light to the world, Lord. So if you call me, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to look eagerly ahead with childlike wonder that I can be a part of introducing someone to majesty, to the living God, To the forgiveness of their sins, to the glory of God, and to the meaning of life. Introduce someone who's been in darkness, who doesn't have any hope in this world, to the source of hope, to the good of all things, to you, Jesus. We are believing for workers for the harvest, and I pray that each one of us would put our hand up in our, right now, and be a part of that worker, that harvest, Lord. Make us yours. Make us fruitful. Grow living hope with new believers, with baptisms and with people who have testimony to share among us of the things you've brought them out of. Praise you, God, that you allow us as your kids to just hold your hand and walk alongside of you in your kingdom work. Do it in us and among us this day, Lord Jesus.